0: Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, uh, so, so there's a famous there's a famous story uh, about the the, the Rebbe. Um, it goes something like this: that he was he was getting ready to, to start the the davening the prayers, and he's got his talis over his shoulder, he's checking his tzitzis, and and all of a sudden he, he begins thinking, and um, you know then. Basically, the prayers—I don't know—they're like well into the prayers, or the prayers are over. I—I I don't, I don't know what it was, but but sometime later, they look back at him, and he's frozen, and he's in the exact same situa- same position. And you know, finally, he comes out of his his uh, thoughts, and they say they ask him what was going on, and he says, "You know, I started saying the the morning prayers. You know, we we begin with these prayers." Um, This is something that every person should say. The first thing, the first words out of their mouth. This is what what we say. And it's, um, before we get back to the story, just to explain it for a quick moment. The English translation is, I gratefully thank you, um, living an eternal king, for you have returned my soul within me with compassion, Abundant is your faithfulness, and of course the the Alexander Rebbe famously says, "Abundant is your faithfulness," meaning to say not, "Abundant is my faith in you," but we begin each day with an affirmation of God's faith in us. You know that that essentially you can do it. You can get out of bed. You can start the day. You can you can make it. That that God Himself believes in us, and and remember, like Rib Libla Eger famously says that if you if you actually want to believe in God You have to understand that God believes in you so you literally can't have from the Torah Understanding you can't have real faith in God unless you also understand that God believes in you So you have to believe in you in order to believe in God (laughs) right that's 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 the amazing thing so 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 and and then something else that's very beautiful that was pointed out to me that that grammatically speaking it says it says moda ani which also means I I moda also means not just to thank but interestingly it also means to acknowledge so in other words you you sort of admit you begin every day uh, th- this is on a deeper level already I mean the simple translation is I I'm, I'm thanking you so you're beginning the day with an act of gratefulness right. Which is so important because anyone who's been um, sort of on top of all the uh, research and what, what they call positive psychology, which is now the the, the you know um, academia has has sort of acknowledged the the centrality of happiness and how important happiness is to our health and our success and our sense of wealth. By the way, you know it says um, it says in perke avos that uh, who who is the rich person? Someone who's um, Happy with their lot, and so to me, what's fascinating about that—it's it, you know—it's it's very deep, but but it doesn't list a dollar total. It doesn't say that someone who's got this amount of assets is considered rich. It's the rich person is someone who's happy with what they have. So, which means that a poor person can be very happy, and a rich person can be very poor,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And and because ultimately speaking, if you if you have a lot of money in the bank and you're miserable, what kind of wealth is that? It's not, as the Torah understands it, and as we, as we become sort of more evolved and more sophisticated, it's not how we understand it either, because we just want to be happy. We'll take a few less zeros if, if, if we're happy. And if we're miserable, what do a few more zeros help? <laughs> right? So, so we, we, want that, we, want that, we want that happiness. So and 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 so the all, all the sort of um, research shows that gratitude. If you want to generate happiness, one of the greatest generators of happiness is gratitude. In other words, if you're constantly thanking and you're constantly acknowledging what you have, this is actually a form of you're you're literally making deposits in your bank account. And and you know, it's. It's surprising. It's counterintuitive because because um, we tend to think that the, the process of uh, wealth accumulation is to just steadily receive, right? That you've got all these income streams and the streams are just flowing to you. So that's a very passive state. That's a, you know in terms of the emotional dynamics. That's not that gratitude is an active state you're not just standing there gratitude is looking thinking acknowledging and when you're doing that that's that's actually the generation of happiness which we see is the generation of wealth but you have to you have to be conscious and active to do that, that that's sort of the surprising thing um, so it's funny because when we think of sort of like the the ultimate wealthy person we imagine someone who's sort of like lounging by the pool or they're lounging in their rich mahogany study. And so we, uh, we we associate you know at least on a very kind of like uh, visceral level, you know we, we, we associate wealth with with lack of work right that that when you have achieved wealth you have achieved a state where you can actually just be completely zoned out. And yet we see that the actual state of wealth is, Actively looking for things to acknowledge and, and thank God for. Um, so, so, so we begin every single morning with this idea of gratitude. I'm thanking you, God. I am thanking you, God. And then that starts to generate this positive cycle. But I wanted to get back to this other point, which is, which is that grammatically speaking, it should say "ani modē." I thank you. And yet, the Jewish sages were like, I'm, 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 "How can a person begin each day with the word ani? I like you're 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 like making it all about you from like the moment you open up your eyes. It's already all about me. So, so they even were willing to subvert the grammatical structure in order to avoid putting the word I first. And you know the the." A lot of our greatest tzaddikim, our greatest holy um, exemplars, wouldn't ever even use the word I. That the word I was like a bad word. Like, most famously, Reb Zusha, if, if he would never say, I'm hungry. He would say, Zusha is hungry. Because how, how can you say the word I? And we're we're going to get more into this in a moment. So So the Kotzka Rebbe has this talus over his shoulder, and, it, which is like, the, sort of like the starting position for the prayers, and the prayers are basically over, and he's still in this place, and so there, so he, he explained, he said, you know, I started saying, you know, I, I I gratefully thank you, and I started wondering, who am I, and who are you? <laughs> right? Who am I and who are you? And he couldn't move to the next thought because because he wanted to try to get a handle on that. So I wanted to use that as an introduction because I want to go further into these, I want to go further into these thoughts. So, so the Slotim Rebbe has like one of the, one of the all-time great teachings, and it's from a, uh, a verse in the Torah, pasuk in the Torah. I'm going to paraphrase it, which says, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses is speaking to the Jewish people, and he's recounting our history, and he says, uh, he says he's talking about the revelation of the Torah at Mount Sinai, and he he's reviewing the events, and he says, I stood between you and God. Which is, which is correct, so to speak, because... because but remember also, just, just as a side note, just so you understand what our tradition is, while in the, with the beginning of the revelation of the Torah and the, the, first, the first words, um, it was like beyond words, but they were also words, the first words of the Torah, the first two commandments, God said to the entire Jewish people, which is approximately two and a half million people were present and all heard the same thing, and remember how radical a thought that is because all other world religions have one central prophet and he supposedly heard the word and then tells his followers, trust me, right? And there is no religion that has the chutzpah. It's, it's like the supreme audacity, much less the h- historical veracity to point out the fact that in this case, God spoke to two and a half million people simultaneously. There is no, there is no, trust me. And then when God continued to talk to Moshe Rabbeinu at Mount Sinai, with the rest of the revelation of the Torah, we're called a nation of prophets. The Jewish people are called a nation of prophets. The Jewish people heard God talking to Moshe. That, that's, that's an essential piece of information, and a lot of people don't know that. And that's why God says to Moshe, and then Moshe faithfully conveys what God said, but even more importantly, Moshe, Moshe conveys everything that we heard God say to Moshe. Do you understand? So, so in other words, when it says that, when God then says, and you will trust in Moshe forever, because we have that tremendous foundation of trust. Because we heard that Moshe was accurately conveying everything that God told him. Because we heard what God said to Moshe. See, the, the foundation of the revelation at Mount Sinai is very, very, very strong. And you should know, again, another another piece of information that most people don't know, and I don't know why, is that, um, is that Christianity also says that God revealed the Torah to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai. And Islam also says that God revealed the Torah to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai. That's very important to know. And then they have their own scenarios afterwards, which then you can analyze and decide for yourself. But what's crucial to understand is that the foundation of the revelation of the Torah at Mount Sinai is, at least among monotheists, universally accepted. And, 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 And of course, you know, Part of that revelation is God says that the Torah doesn't change. That's where, you know, that, 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 that's part of the revelation, is that this, these commandments don't change. Okay, anyway, these are all historical points. I want to get back to the, the more psychological um, aspects of this. Remember, Moshe, the Katsukah Rebbe is saying, I gratefully thank you. And he's asking himself, who am I and who are you? right so 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 again let's return back to that verse moshe is saying over to the jewish people i stood bef- between god and you right and so the slonomeravi explains something phenomenally 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 deep listen to the words i and the, the word that's used in the torah is anochi i stood between god and you and so the slonomeravi says your I stands between you and God. <laughs> In other words, the ego. The ego stands between, separates between you and God. Right? And remember, I always think this is so important to say as a when we talk about ego, we're not talking about self-esteem. Right? That's very, very important. Everyone has to have tremendous self-esteem because that's what generates That's what generates your life force, basically, and your ability to accomplish things. Ego is something else. Ego means that you're ascribing power to yourself that you don't have, or that you're ascribing power to yourself that belongs to God. Right? So ego, we want to do away with, but self-esteem, we want to prize. Okay? So hopefully we understand the distinction that's being made there. So... So we, so Reb Mimi was asking a, a good question yesterday. She says, she, had, she says, I have a question on the Salonimur Torah, which is really one of the great Torahs, right? I stood between God and you. The I stands between us and God, right? Mm-hmm. And again, the word that's used in the, in the verse is anochi for I. She says, but, 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 but. Isn't that the word that's used at the beginning of the revelation of the Torah at Mount Sinai? (laughs) It says, Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I am God, your God. So Hashem himself is using this word Anochi. Here we're hearing the word Anochi as this sort of like ego-infused sort of like entity which like creates this partition between us and the divine and yet God himself is using the word Anochi. So now we've got a bit of a problem. Now we've got a bit of a problem. Like, so what is it, what is it? Um, So, and then she pointed out something, which is that, uh, so we learned from Reb Shlomo in the name of Reb Tzadaka Kain that if you want to know the the first instance, if you want to know the true definition of a word, go back to the first time it was used in the Torah. Because that, so to speak, is the headquarters of the meaning of that word. So where's the first Anochi? If we want to know about Anochi, which means I, right? Where 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 do we see it? So she pointed out that it comes from, like, just, like, it's so perfect. I mean, you see the, just the perfection of Torah here, I think. Of course it goes back to the eating from the tree of knowledge, right? <laughs> it has to, because everything goes back to that. The whole concept of, of, of all these senses of division of lack of awareness of god right or ego infused you know understanding of the world all goes back to the to eating from the tree of knowledge you see because basically just very simply but it's a it's a giant thought but we'll make it very simple what happened when we ate from the tree of knowledge right what happened was you see basically there is, we, we, we live in this awesome superstructure, right? The, 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 the boundaries of, of, of this world, of this universe, of consciousness, of reality, are incredibly expansive. And the material portion of reality itself is very, very small. The material realm is very, very small. There's dimensions and dimensions, and what we call olamos, worlds and worlds and worlds of spiritual dimensions. And what happened was, when we ate from the tree of knowledge, our consciousness got cut off. And what we only saw was the material. That, that's all we saw at that point. And, so, and, but we, and so, so, as I like to say, the mind believes, but the soul knows. The mind believes, but the soul knows. Because the soul is a piece of God. And the soul the soul which we have within us knows God and has an awareness beyond the material. Because the soul, remember, we've got five parts to the soul. Three are within your body, two are outside your body, and they extend to the highest heavens. So the soul sees it. It's not a question of belief when we're talking about the soul. The soul knows. The soul knows the greater realities that exist. The mind is trapped in this tree of knowledge, sort of cut-off understanding of just the material realm, and it has to take a leap of faith, right? But meanwhile, the soul doesn't feel. The soul knows. It knows. It knows. It knows. Okay. Okay, so fine. So, so, so it's appropriate that the first anochi is going back to this event of this separation of understanding of where we are exactly. And by the way, I, I forgot which rebbe said it, but one of the rebbe said that all depression—and we're not talking about chemical depression right now—we're talking about what we call atzva sadness, which is that that state of depression. But but you know now we're, we're a little bit more. Um, Kind of sophisticated in terms of diagnosing, like w- what is the condition of our sadness, basically. But there is something that's very real called sadness, right? And and it's it can be a very very oppressive force. And and this Rebbe said, all sadness slash depression, but but de- sadness based depression comes from a person forgetting where they are. comes from forgetting or not understanding where they are, where they stand. In other words, if you understand that you have a piece of God within you and you are at all times standing before the infinite, if you understand that, how could you ever become sad? (laughs) How could you ever become sad? You, You can't because you realize, you know, whatever is going on, it's all right. And whatever my circumstances are right now, this, this, you know, body of flesh that I'm in right now is, is really like, it's, it's pretty darn temporary compared to eternity, which I'm already part of. And I will continue to be part of. So it's like this massive kind of like hug from God when you realize where it is that that, that you're actually standing. And I wish I had the numbers for you. I have to learn the numbers because this is one of those things I'd like to be able to rattle off. A, I'll sound smart, but but more importantly, it will convey the thought in in a more trenchant way. Which is, do you know right now how, I don't know what it is, how many millions of miles an hour you are spinning around in the cosmos right now? Because we know that the Earth is rotating at a tremendous speed. Why aren't you falling off the planet into outer space right now? Why? You know that that's going on right now. If you just like think for a moment and just zoom out, zoom out, zoom out, zoom out, you are this little pinprick on a planet that's spinning millions of miles an hour. And that centrifugal force is what's adhering you to the ground right now. But here's the greater point. You know that that's true. So here's the question. Do you feel it? <laughs> you think you're just sitting in a chair. right? I'm just driving in my car, cooking for Shabbos, right? You are spinning millions of miles an hour right now. Can you feel it? The answer is no. Does that mean it's not true? Obviously not. Does that mean unless I can feel it, it's not true. Well, you see a very compelling example how you cannot feel it and how it can be true. And if you make as the ultimate barometer, ah, yeah, but I don't feel it." All right, good luck. Good luck. I tried my best. <laughs> you know? It's like, you know... I wish you a lot of success. That's it. you know. I mean we've got to be a little more brain-based and a little less feeling-based which which isn't which isn't to say that we should be god forbid less compassionate to be extremely compassionate but at the same time if we're allowing whether we feel it or not to be the ultimate barometer then we're we're kidding ourselves we're kidding ourselves so so I'm bringing that up because right now we are all standing before the vastness of the infinite universe that our soul is representative of. I mean, you've got you've got a ticket. You've got you're a member. You're a lifetime. You're you're an eternally lifetime member already. Right now, right now. So now you can either just kind of meditate on that. Or you can just pretend like all that's important is, you know, weather, fill in the blank. Okay. So, getting back to the tree of knowledge, getting back to the person remember, let's remind yourselves what the question is. On the one hand, it says, Moshe's talking and he says, I stood between you and God. Right? So, it seems like the I, the ego, is, is separating us between between us and God, and remember, the Katska Rebbe is asking, "Who am I and who are you?" Right, but so it looks like the "I" is, seems to be a problem. But then the first word of the revelation of the Torah is "Anochi," is "I," is that same word? So, so how do we reconcile these things? So we go back to the first "Anochi," and the first "Anochi" is talking about. We've eaten from the tree of knowledge, and on one side of the word "anoki" is the word for nakedness, meaning revelation, because we became aware of our own nakedness. Right? It, it, what's, I always like to 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 say over the explanation from Rav Yitzhak Haizach It says God opened. It says our eyes were opened, and we saw our nakedness. So it's it's a little bit confusing because usually speaking, when you understand on a deeper level, right? We say, "Oh, that was a real eye opener." So what does it mean? Our, it seems it seems like it's saying the opposite thing, which in fact it is saying the opposite thing. Our eyes were open to our so so. Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haber explains, our eyes were opened at that moment to materiality. In other words, we at that moment we our consciousness became. Compressed significantly, and all we perceived was the material realm at that point. So our eye was opened, yes, but to materiality, and we saw each other's nakedness. So on one side of the word anochi is the word nakedness, but but it really means revelation in this con- in this in this uh, context. And on the other side of the word anochi is the word for hiddenness. <laughs> so so you see. It goes back to, so where is the Anochi? The Anochi is straddling between revelation and hiddenness. Revelation and hiddenness. Revelation and hiddenness. Meaning to say, when you let's go back to the Katsuk Rebbe right now. So who am I and who are you? So the answer is, as I understand as I'm now reconciling all these different questions and I'm going to give you my, my understanding, which is that God is the ultimate I. So when God says "I'm "Anochi Hashem "I am God, your God," that is the obviously, since God is saying it, that is the proper use of the "I," right? So in other words, we we our souls, which is the essential element of ourselves, our soul is a piece of that Anochi. Our our souls are are we're, we're all like emanations of godliness, right? See, this is. This is who we are, but we're not God. See, we have godliness within us, but we are not God. And it's a very fine line, because we can create. That's the most godlike thing. We can give. That's even more godlike. Right? We can do all these godly things, but we ourselves are not God. And that's where the Anochi starts to get very, very confused. The sense of I. Right? Like, when a person crosses that line and think that, that... When a person thinks that we, each and every one of us, are the final authority. If I don't feel it, it can't be true. Right? Why? Because I'm the final authority. Right? You say that this is the Halacha, this is what I'm supposed to be doing? I say otherwise. <laughs> okay, so Mazel Tov, right? My, you know, I'm so glad that you just became one of the greatest theologians and prophets that ever existed. Really, I, I wish I had known sooner. I would have given you more honor. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like, what a joke. What a joke. This is why it says in the Talmud that God can't be with a person in a place of arrogance. Because if a person is arrogant... Consciously or unconsciously, and let's be, let's be kind to each other and say it's probably unconscious, right? Unconsciously, they've made themselves a final authority, which means they've seized the anochi, the I, and turned it into the eye of God. And when a person seizes the Anohi, when, when sort of co-ops co-ops that ultimate authority, co-ops then for sure they're standing, then for sure the I is standing between you and God. (laughs) Because God says, oh, you're God? Okay, so then I don't need to be here because you're already God. (laughs) So then God turns and goes in the other direction. Because I see you've already got it all handled. So what do you need me for? Right. That's what it means. God can't be in a place of arrogance. That's that's what that means. It's not like oh you know what oh I'm mad at you now. No, it's not. It's like magnets, like the opposite repelling force. You've already you've already made yourself into God, so that that chases away the actual God. So, so why do we do it? 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 We can't all be egomaniacs. That, That can't be the reason. We can't all be bad people. That also can't be the reason. So why is it so easy for us to seize this ultimate authority? So, so again, to go back on a, on a spiritual level to eating from the tree of knowledge, we're all hardwired with this type of thinking from from birth. And that one of the great sort of like evolutionary tasks that God charges us with is for us to get beyond that type of thinking. We have to do we have to do some thinking to get beyond that type of thinking. And, and God wants us to do that. He, in other words, a lot of people think you're born into a clean room and then just don't mess it up. But it's not true. You're born into a very messy room. And God says, clean it up. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. A lot of people think that you're born into a clean room and you're told just don't mess it up. But it's not really true. You're born into a messy room and God says, clean it up. So, in other words, we we, we, from the moment we're born, we have a job to do. We have a task. We have to sort of unknot this type of thinking. And as we unknot this type of thinking, what we do is we make a vessel. And the more we unknot it, the more the vessel expands. And the more light it can hold. Amen. So you're able to actually, as you so sort of go, oh, oh. God is even in that place. And God is even in the darkness. And the starting point of reality is actually light, not darkness. And, and you just you go further and further and further and further. And then all of a sudden, ideally, you appreciate each other more and more and more and more. Because the central truth is, is that nothing has to be the way it is right now. Nothing has to be the way it is right now. And so if you have anything going for you, I'm talking about a shirt on your back, anything going for you, it doesn't have to be that way. And then you start to appreciate and then you start to generate gratitude and then you start to generate awareness and then that brings down more light and more light and then you see deeper and greater and then you love more and appreciate more. And all, its it's this fantastic you know, we, we, there's a phrase called a, a vicious cycle, but someone turned me on to the phrase a virtuous cycle, yes. right? Which is that it's the opposite of a vicious cycle, which is like a, a tailspin downwards, like a nosedive, right? The virtuous cycle is the inversion of that, where all of the good is generating more good, and all the expansiveness is generating more expansiveness, greater expansiveness. So, so back to the question: Where do we? Where do we go wrong? So on one level, we have to understand that we're all sort of gifted with this work to do. <laughs> gifted in quotation marks, right? We're, we're gifted. We're hardwired with this notion. Or as, as the Beis Yaakov, the second Ischvitzer Rebbe says, every single person deep, 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 deep down, and again, this is not a rational thought. This is a deep, deep thought, right? Deep down, every single person thinks that they created themselves right? And it's a, it's a very humbling thought. It's a very humbling thought. But this is this idea of being hardwired with this consciousness from birth that essentially you are the ultimate authority, right? Which again comes from the eating from the tree of knowledge, which is that, that notion that the mind has to believe, right? It doesn't know. The soul knows. But we're sort of more kind of like situated most people. In their heads so you have to get to that point right where you evolve belief into knowledge right that's a that's a big that's a, that's a big point and maybe we'll just take one more moment on this which is that in in this week's portion in Chana we have the Shema Yisrael and of course that's like Judaism is it's vast Torah. We say the Torah existed before the world was created. You know, the Torah is the, 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 the you know, and is is an aspect of God Himself. So it's the Torah is big. Um, but if, at, at least in terms of the written five books, it, there's an attempt to sum it up in one line, <laughs> it's Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Understand, Israel, the Lord God is one. Right? So it, it, it all essentially, like if, we're, if we want to communicate the vastness of our vision, we understand that ultimately it's a unity. It's all, it's all one. Okay? So as I heard Rabbi Gedalia Gerfein say one time, what's the difference between a monotheist, someone who believes in one God, right? Which is the reality. Or a polytheist, someone who believes in many gods. So a polytheist says, God is in the sun, and God is in the ocean, and God is in the trees, and everything like that. But a monotheist understands that the entire world is inside God. Right? And that God saturates all of reality and exists dimensions beyond. Right? So, don't make the mistake of thinking God is the world and the world is God. That actually is a heretical thought, according to Judaism, believe it or not. Because you're limiting God. Like, it sounds like, on the, on, a, on a prima facie level, on the surface, it sounds very good. Like, everything is God. God is the world, the world is God. That sounds pretty holy and religious to me. No, but you've limited God to the parameters of the world, or the parameters of the universe. It's a very big problem. You it sounds like you're making God vast. You've actually made Him very small. God saturates all of the universe and exists dimensions and dimensions and dimensions and dimensions beyond the universe okay and that's um that that's that's our understanding so let's look at the words of Shema for a moment so Shema Yisrael Shema lokeinu Shem so everybody knows that in the in the Torah the last letter of Shema is a large ayin and the last letter of a chad, which means one, is a large dalet, right? So you've got a large ayin and a large dalet. And if you just spell that, if you treat that as a separate word, it spells um, aid or witness. right? So in other words, the, the Shema itself, which is talking about the oneness of God, is telling you on another level... Witness it. Witness the fact that it's one great unity. Witness it. But what's also interesting is if you reverse those two large letters, it's dalid ayin, which means to know. As in, like uh, at, in a lot of shuls, what you'll see is by either on top of the um, by the bima where the prayer leader stands, the chazan stands, or on top of the ark. A lot of um, shuls have this phrase, which in English is. It says this this word dalid ayin. Know, know before whom you stand, right? Which is getting back to this idea of happiness also that a person could never experience sadness if they know before whom they stand, right? So, so what's interesting is the evolution from ayin dalid to dalid ayin, the evolution from witnessing to knowing. Because if you constantly witness, meaning to say, if you're actively appreciating the oneness of God, that's witnessing, right? That's active appreciation, right? If you're constantly seeing the hand of God in everything, right? Then, over time, that witnessing evolves into knowing. You, the, the mind doesn't have to believe it anymore, because you've cultivated a true understanding. And at that point, you actually know. Right? And remember, something very, very important. God intentionally, and I'm underlining that word intentionally ten times in red, God intentionally created the universe in a way that his existence cannot be proven. That was on purpose. That was so that we can choose to find him choose to have free choice if his existence was absolutely, like if every time you did a mitzvah, I just put on tefillin, oh there's a knock at my door another ten million dollars fantastic, can't wait till tomorrow, right like where would your free choice be, right, lit Shabbos candles, yeah you can pull in the money truck in the back, I cleared the way for you you know like where would the free choice be the, the whole point is to distinguish ourselves from the angels and actually make ourselves higher than the angels because the angels have a clear revelation of godliness. They don't see all of God because God is infinite and even angels are creations compared to God, right? So they have a, 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 a vaster, like a whole orders of magnitude, a vaster revelation of godliness, but they don't see all of God. Only God sees all of God. Only God sees all of God, right? Remember this great quote from the Kutzke Rebbe again. Kutzke Rebbe said, I would never worship a God I understood. Right? That's, I think, one of the most important teachings for our generation, by the way. And my understanding of it is, I would never worship a God I understood. Why? Because if I understood God completely, then I'm also God. So what do I need God for? <laughs> right? So in other words, people think that if I can't fully understand the thing, that's a problem in the thing because I can't understand it. But don't you understand the fact that you can't fully understand the thing is a proof of the truth of the thing? (laughs) As long as, it's the, as long as you're learning the truth, right? Like, I can make up some gobbledygook with a paradox in it and say, well, this is the truth. And the, the, the proof of the, the fact that it's the truth is that you don't understand it. Okay, great. So what does the Torah say about that person? Death penalty. <laughs> That's pretty clear about that, you know? You're creating a false religion. You're a false prophet. That's death penalty territory. But if something is actually the truth, like the Torah, we say Torah Emet. The Torah is the truth. If something is actually the truth, then one of the signs of the truth should be that you can fully grasp the entirety of it. So, here's what I think is very interesting. Is that, again, to get back to the point, God intentionally created the world in a way that His existence can't be proved. Again, this was to preserve free choice. Right? Right? But people think, and again, this is no, one's, no one thinks this through, so it's not said in a direct way like I'm going to say it. People think the fact that God can't be proven is a sign of the weakness of God. God must be pretty weak. He, you know, he couldn't come up with the proper ID. Couldn't well, He didn't file his papers in time. thought God was more organized than that. Do you actually, does that make any sense to you whatsoever? God who created the vastness of the universe? It's a sign of his ultimate humility that he doesn't sign his name a thousand times on every Grand Canyon, on every planet, on every shooting star. Can you imagine, Can you can you begin to even fathom the humility of God that he's created all of this majesty? and remains hidden simultaneously? Would you do that? I mean, how many of us come up with a, not even a great idea, a pretty good idea, and it was, that was me! (laughs) 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 It wasn't him! (laughs) He, He said it, but first I said it, then he heard me say it, and then he said it out loud before all of you, before I could say it, but it was me, it wasn't him. Right, that's us. Not, not, not the one who creates the Grand Canyon and you're looking for who did this and it's like this, this awesome silence. It's not a sign of weakness. It's the opposite. It's the opposite. It's a sign of awesomeness that he remains silent in the face of such majesty. So again, how can we ever fall into this place? How can we ever fall into this place of thinking that it's it's me, it's about me, right? How can we ever take the anokhi, the 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 eye of God and transpose it and and and, and claim it for ourselves? How, how, how could we ever fall to such a place? So part of it part of it is is because the world is so mysterious and because we're just so confused we're so confused and we try so hard on so many different levels and so many different things and how often or how frequent is our disappointment how much do we try and fail all the time all the time And it's so hard. And it's so hard. And slowly, slowly, we negatively reinforce or positively reinforce the worst quality, which is, well, God, I guess you're not doing it, so I guess I'm doing it. And then what happens? Then we can't even do it. And then we blame God. And then that gets us back into this place of the vicious cycle. So we take more and more responsibility for everything and then don't necessarily get what we want, and then we blame God more and more for our lack of success. So, again, the Qats asks, so who am I and who are you? Where does the I of me end and the I of you begin? You know, I'll tell you one of the highest, highest moments for for me. Doesn't happen too often, but every once in a while, you say Shema Yisrael, and I heard Rabbi Sutton say something really nice that when you when you get up to Shema, even if you're like in a minion, and the minion is like really moving, don't deprive yourself of the moment of really just sitting in Shema for a while, especially that first declaration, the the, the first sentence of it, right? Mm-hmm. Shema Yisrael, Shema Lokino, Shema Chad. Even if the minion is going to be moving, don't, don't lose that opportunity to just understand that the entire world belongs to God. And that you just exist within God. And then you can, if you, if you, if you can do it, you can get to the point where you can disappear within God. And basically your anochi disappears into the anochi of God. Amen. And you, you're not even there anymore. You're literally not even there. And at a certain point, you wake up, you open up your eyes, and you go, oh, uh, they're getting close to Shmonas, right? <laughs> I better get back to Dominic. Um, so, but, but that's, that, when we talk about what we call divakas, um, which is, we'll translate as cleaving to God, and remember I always like to mention because I think again it's so important and all these points always get glossed over and missed by so many people the Rambam right the Rambam Maimonides who's sort of like our consummate rationalist right He's like that's okay that's that's our guy the Rambam says that a person has to walk around lovesick for God—that that's our consummate rationalist talking. A person has to be lovesick for God. So that's this notion that that the anochi, that this sense of I, is the only I that really exists is God. And then you're in this place of cleaving, right? So I mean, th- this is sort of like. This is the place that any anyone who's a, a, a genuine spiritual seeker, who's really trying to do this as a, as a, as an avoda, as 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 a path, as a path in their life, that's the place we're trying to get to, right? But then, but then now you can additionally appreciate the words of Reb Shlomo: the toughest thing in the world is for a person to have their head in the clouds and their feet on the ground at the same time, right? is you have to remember that if you think that the whole idea is to generate an escape path from this world that's not it that's not Torah that is not Judaism the idea is to have that level of consciousness while you're showing up on time for appointments while you're paying your bills while you're being very aware of the people's needs around you That that, that is the great dialectic to be fancy right? That's that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to do. So, so all the disappointments tend to reinforce the the, the other the the I, that God, since you're not doing it, I have to do it. And then again, this is not a conscious thought. This is not a conscious thought. But, but, I think a lot of people go to this place and they inflict, we inflict great harm to ourselves when we go to this place. But, and again, it's not conscious. But we say, um, you know what? God, until you give me what I want, I'm boycotting you. (laughs) Until you give me what I want, I'm mad at you. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because God's holding all the cards. You know, like we say, like like kids playing, like if you don't play by the kid's rule, he says, it's my bat and my ball, and I'm just going to take the bat and the ball and go home. Well, it's not just God's bat and God's ball. It's God's ground, and it's God's oxygen and nitrogen and carbon atoms and time and space and soul. I mean, you talk about monopoly. God's got a monopoly on existence. You know what I mean? Can you imagine, can you imagine like, like, Let's think through our strategies for a moment. <laughs> Let's think through our strategies. When we reach a point of frustration, the idea is not to do less. It has to be to do more. <laughs> okay, God. What? I haven't put on to fill in, in 10 years. Okay, let me put start putting it on. I haven't kept Shabbos, or never kept Shabbos in my life. i got to start keeping Shabbos. You know I, w- what more can I do? Bless you, not, not? not what less? Because that can't work. It can't work. So we just I use this word cautiously, but I'll use it anyway. We just celebrate the Tish above, right? So as much as it's the saddest day of the year, we also know that it's buried within it is a tremendous light. Tremendous, tremendous light. And it's going to be one of the greatest holidays. Amen. But we're not there yet. We're close. We're, we're getting closer, but we're not there yet. And so, so, Reb Leibla Eger points out, I heard from Reb Shlomo, learned from Reb Shlomo, that Parshas Vs Chanan, the parsha that we just read, um, which has the repetition of the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, right? It appears two times in the five books, right? Once in Parshas Yisra, and once in Parshas Hanan, which we just read. So, so Parshas Hanan is one of those fixed parshas in the calendar. Whether you're inside Israel or outside Israel, or no matter what time of the year, whatever it is, we're always reading this parsha of the Torah, this section of the Torah. After Tisha B'Av, always. So he points out something very beautiful, which is that after Moshe Rabbeinu, after Moses broke the first tablets, the first Luchos, right, the Jewish people had a like like a moment. Like a like a big, big, big question. Because the first commandment, going back to this word anoche, the first commandment is Anochi Ashemalokecha. I am God, your God. And so the Jewish people wondered, now that those tablets are smashed, is God still our God? Right? And especially since... You know, that's the that, that happened on the 17th day of Tammuz, which is the beginning of the three weeks, which culminates in Tisha B'Av, the ninth above, which we're talking about now. But at the end of, right after Tisha we're always reading about the receiving of the Ten Commandments again. Isn't that interesting? So, in other words, the beginning of the three weeks, which ends with Tisha b'a, begins with the breaking of the tablets, and yet, the first opportunity after Tisha b'a is a repetition of receiving the Ten Commandments again. And that's by design. And what is on the new set of tablets that we got was Written the exact same words as the first tablets. The second tablets were written in the exact same words as the first tablets. And what is, how does the second tablets begin? Hashem Elokecha. I am God your God. In other words, God didn't stop being our God. And God never stops being our God. And a person can ask themselves, it says Reb Label Eger, he continues, that after Tisha B'av, meaning to say, after all of the historical calamities that have happened to the Jewish people, and after all the pains and sorrows that we've had in all of our individual lives, all the Tisha B'avs in our own lives, right? A person can ask themselves, is God still our God? And so the first thing that God does, the very, very first thing that God does, is to reassure us and to give us the luchos again, the tabuts again, with the words, Anochia Shemalokecha, I am God, your God. God never stopped being the God of the Jewish people. He never stopped being the master of heaven and earth. He never stopped. He never stopped. He never stopped. But there's a journey. There's a journey. There's a journey that we're on. You know, I once heard Rabbi Shlomo say this joke and he didn't explain what he meant by it, but i give you my explanation of it. So the joke was, uh, a person says to another person, how far is Minsk from Pinsk? So he says, you know, 10 hours. And he says, oh, okay, how far is Pinsk from Minsk? <laughs> he said, I just told you that from Minsk to Pinsk is 10 hours, so from Pinsk to Minsk it's also 10 hours. He goes, oh, okay, okay. He says because from Purim to Pesach it's thirty days. For from from Pesach to Purim it's thirty days. No, I'm sorry. From Purim to Pesach it's thirty days. For from Pesach to Purim it's eleven months. <laughs> 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 so, and he, I'm sorry, I got confused in the telling of that. But it, when he told it better knee. he. He, he laughed very hard after that, and then he <laughs> continued on to the next subject. And, but somehow that, that joke haunted me. You know? <laughs> so I'm like, what does that mean? You know? <laughs> He's not just telling us jokes. And I thought to myself that, you know something? Sometimes, it's a bit of a heavy thought, pardon me, but sometimes a person can do something wrong, and it takes a long time to fix in other words, the the way back doesn't necessarily take the same amount of time as it took to do the wrong thing. Sometimes the, the way back takes much longer. And that's our exile right now. That's our exile right now. It's, it's taking a long time. But it doesn't mean that we're not on a clear path. You know? Can you imagine, can you imagine people are walking for so long and then they decide after this several thousand year journey... Oh, there, there is no actual destination. <laughs> like, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Can you imagine, it's sort of like... ah. Uh, I'm not in the mood, so I'll undo the work of my ancestors for the last several thousand years. Why? Yeah, I'm just, no, I'm not feeling it. <laughs> like, like, we're so close. We're so close. We're so close. So, I was thinking of a, an example a while back, I'll share with you. Can you imagine a person is walking down a road? And they kind of get, they kind of veer off course. And they walk into the middle of a thorn bush. And you know, a thorn bush, it's very prickly, like it cuts you, it hurts you. You know, you're in the middle of this thorn bush, and it's like, how did I get in the middle of this thorn bush? It hurts. But you know something? You want to hear something very intense? The way out of the thorn bush is also through the thorn bush. Mm-hmm. And so you're saying, it hurts, it hurts! But the person says, but I'm taking you out. So we have to understand that God is good. And that any pain, any disappointments, right, any frustration that we experience... That's that's God taking us out of the thorn bush. Right. So I'll just end with really one of for me one of the greatest Torahs. But again I I, I feel bad I don't I don't know Hasan. So, so we say always on this on this first Shabbos after Tisha B'Av, <coughs> We read from the, the, the prophet who, who who begins with the words "Nachamu, Nachamu, ami." Right? It's and it's and that Shabbos is called Shabbos Nachamu, the Shabbos of Comfort after after these words. So everyone is asking, what, what, "Why does it say Nachamu, Nachamu? Why is there a double phrasing of comfort, of God giving us comfort?" So so this Rebbe said, the first Nachamu is God is saying. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, but but know, know that everything that you went through is for your own benefit. That's the first Nachumu, the first comforting. For us to be aware that everything, all the hardship that we went through, is ultimately for our own benefit. So then what's the second Nachumu? The second Nachumu is God saying, but still... I'm sorry that you had to go through it, right? And so that's again God's love, God's compassion. and God's understanding he he knows he's he knows, and there's no it's not a paradox. It's not a paradox to say that. If we experience pain, that, that's a proof that there is no God. That's, it's just, it, it, life is just deeper than that. It's just deeper than that. There, there can be a God who is good, and there can be work for us to do that's not easy. And those two things can exist simultaneously, and in fact do exist simultaneously. And you know, I remember, I heard this from the person who uh, it happened to. uh, One of the chavre here many years ago went up to Reb Shlomo while he was still alive. And he said to Reb Shlomo, he said, tell me a Torah just for me. And Reb Shlomo said to him, you know, the world thinks that I actually want less from them. This was Reb Shlomo talking. And he said to this person, he says, but the truth is that I really want more from them. And so, a lot of times, that, that sense of, like, hey, you know, people from the outside can kind of look at this form of chassidus, this, this derech, this path, and think, oh, this is kind of like, you know, whatever you want to do, whatever it is, it's laissez-faire, right? But that's not the depths of it. The depths is because Reb Shlomo really wanted more from us. He really wanted us to do more. But he created an atmosphere where we could feel good about ourselves and feel as though we weren't being judged every single moment in order to ultimate, ultimately to generate more productivity on our part. And it wasn't shtick, it wasn't a trick. It was because he understood where the generation was at. That if we were actually to make progress, this is this is how we needed to do it we had to have a a sense of a little bit of ownership in order to be able to proceed. But then once we've got our bearings, then we can really begin to understand the depths of it all. So Hashem should bless us that this should be have been the last Tisha B'Av of fasting. And tonight is Tuba'av, right? Which the Gemara says, the Talmud teaches that alongside Yom Kippur, this is the happiest day of the year. Amen. Ah, starting man, tonight. Nice. Yeah. So so we see, like, again, as the sages teach, <clears throat> the redemption can happen in the blink of an eye. In the blink of an eye. And you see how fast the calendar turns. Right? As just an example of that. And it can happen even faster than the 9th to the 15th. It can happen literally in the blink of an eye. Amen. amen. But you see it here just everything now is shifting toward positiveness, and toward a more healthy, just revealed level of goodness, and we should just have some chus.
1: Amen, amen, amen.